Let's just keep it, keep it up with the year jokes this morning. <laughs> I'm a little nervous this morning because my wife told me when I was leaving the house that I don't match. <laughs> she did. You did say that. You said, Eric, you don't match this morning. So, I mean, if the, if the, I hope, hopefully the sermon will make up for my, my lack of style. Just getting, just getting that going off early in the morning, right, Wendy? Ooh, Lord have mercy. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna recap this whole thing, this whole water, this whole water deal we've been working through over the past couple months. And you know, I, I love to kind of go back and look at, I mean, just all my sermon notes and and whatnot. Um, and when I started this series, this would have been back in September. Um, we started um, by looking at some films by a particular actor that all had to do with water. Does anybody remember that actor? You're close. I don't know if it's close, so I guess... No. I'm going to give you one film. It was... Um, let me see. I'll give you the, the hardest one. No, we're thinking of like an actor, not... Uh, <laughs> um, uh, Splash? Tom. Tom. Tom Hanks, right. So we, we were looking at... Because Tom Hanks has all these... He has Captain, uh, uh, Finding Nemo, there's Captain Phillips, there's Castaway, there's Greyhound, there's Splash, like all these water-related movies. We were just kind of playing around with that. And then we talked about some, some statistics about water. And as I was looking at those statistics, I, I kind of dove a little bit deeper into one specific one, which I, this is just, this might be like the whole takeaway of the whole sermon this morning. So one of the things we talked about is for an average U.S. home, for an average U.S. home, the cost of water is about $2 per thousand gallons, okay? So $2 per thousand gallons. If you were to kind of just get like one of those five-gallon jugs that we usually use on the inside, right? To fill up one of those five-gallon jugs would be about uh, two and a half cents, right? So in between two and three cents. Everybody with me so far? I haven't lost anybody on the math. So... <clears throat> Then I looked like, well, you know, people buy bottled water all the time. And I looked at Target, and Target has one of those smart water, those squeeze bottles. Those are about um, $1.39. If you're just to go to Target and buy one of those smart squeeze bottles, about $1.39. So for the kind of, if you were to compare those costs, for two and a half cents at that kind of water price, you could buy 55 of those little smart water squeeze bottles. Like that's how cheap water is, right? They're charging $1.39, but you could actually buy 55 of those. Um, so then I, I re- here's what was really fascinating. I reversed the math a little bit, okay? So imagine instead of paying 0.25 or, or two and a half cents per, um, per five gallons of water, right? Imagine instead of paying that price, you were paying like smart water pricing for your water, right? So you would, you would kind of convert that to where five gallons of water, instead of being two and a half cents, would be $37, right? So you'd have to pay $37 to fill up one of those five-gallon jugs, which would severely limit our shower times, wouldn't it? So, okay, this is the, this is the, end, of the end of it. But this, again, I just kind of got a little bit lost on this. And we're, again, we're talking with water, so it all ties in at some, at some level. You take the smart water pricing at $37 for every five gallons, right? 
Um, and I applied it to my previous water bill. So everybody, we get our water bill every, um, every other month, right? And so in our water bill, we used 17,304 gallons of water, right? Now, <clears throat> what I did is I then, I then divided that by five, right? And my wife checked this too, so it's, it's good math. And then I multiplied it by 37. And my water bill ended up being, let me see what I, I figured it out to be, $126,300. If you were to have to buy water at the price like you were to go buy a bottle of smart water, that's what your water bill would be. Now, let's just say you're the kind of people who just likes to get that cheap case at Costco. And my wife and I were driving home from a wedding on Friday night, and we figured that out as well. We were just kind of having some fun. And that's still, I think your water bill, again, this would be like every two months. I think that's, that puts your um, water bill, again, somewhere around $12,500. And that's just using the like, every hey, huh? Every, no, every other, every other month, right? So if you wanted to figure out your yearly water, so that would be what, about $75,000 a year? in just water at water bottle pricing. So listen, if you get nothing else from the sermon, don't buy water bottles. They are a complete ripoff. They are killing you on water bottle. And if you're like, no, I have to have my water bottle, just know that normal for five gallons, right? You can have that for less than three cents and you're buying your little bottle for whatever. And that ties into your reverse osmosis. So if you use the cheap water that you get out of the tap, which is safe and... Is it taste bad? Does our Garden Grove water taste bad? Yes. Huh? Like chlorine. Chlorine? Who, who's... Like, what, okay, what do you guys do at home? You guys do... Refrigerator water? Yeah. Fridge, the fridge one? The fridge filter? Brita? Fridge water? Hose water. Hose Yeah. <laughs> Okay, yep, yep, the five-gallon ones. Bottom, Mark, New Year's resolution, ditch them. <laughs> Hybrid? A little bit of both. Brian? The five-gallon? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Johnny, what do you do? The big water bottles? Yeah. You know, the other thing I was thinking about with this, too, um, is... If nothing else, and I was I was kind of meditating on this a little bit, not not like in the serious meditation, but thinking about like just how thankful we can be for just having clean, cheap water accessible. Seven hundred eighty million people in this world, which is three times almost three times the United States, don't have access to clean, drinkable water, and so the fact that we can get it and get it so cheaply, and we can shower um, and not be paying, you know. 13,000 or, or just absurd amounts of money is something really to be thankful for. Um, again, so if, if nothing else, the rest of the morning, you're just like, man, water, what a gift, right? Um, <clears throat> I want to go through these teachings this morning. Uh, and here's, here's, where we, here's where we did. We started all the way back in Genesis, and I'm just going to call it the deep. We looked at the waters in Genesis. And then, Mark, you were way ahead of the game. Then we went to Noah 
We looked at the various ancient Near East flood stories. We kind of talked about some of the things with Noah. Um, and then we, we, we did this, and I'm going to kind of try and draw like bookends here because we did the red or the reed, probably is the better translation, C. And then we did the Jordan River, right? And remember these, these two narratives kind of bookend the, um, as the Israelites um, leave Egypt, they cross the Red Sea into the wilderness. They traverse the wilderness. Then they cross the Jordan River as they enter into the um, promised land. So these two crossings, these two water crossings, again, kind of bookend. These are, does this look like a bookend or just kind of a weird L? These are supposed to be my bookends. Um, they kind of bookend this, this whole Exodus um, um, narrative of them being in the wilderness. And then we went to, we went to Psalm, we went to Babylon. And this is in Psalm 137, right? We're now from Exodus to exile. The nation of Judah is, finds themselves in Babylon, probably most likely the Tigris River. Um, and there they hang their harps, that, that famous psalm of lament, of loss, of distress, of hurt, of pain. Um, then we went to the New Testament. We started off um, with the New Testament. We started off with Jesus' baptism. Um, a special, very special request. We talked about water to wine. Water to in John chapter 2, in John chapter 4, is the woman at the well. And then in John chapter 7 is living water. So these are the, the, the nine that we went through. What I'd like you to do this morning, uh, just to kind of get us going this morning, um, I'd like you to turn to the person next to you and... If there was a moment or a thought or something that stood out to you about any one of these teachings, and if you're not familiar with one of these teachings or you just haven't got your brain switched on yet, which kind of happens sometimes on Sunday morning, especially when it's freezing cold and we're just fighting the elements out here, um, you, can, you can talk potentially just about like, even just like the, narr- like the biblical narrative, something maybe that you had a problem with or you pushed back on or you or you really liked about one of these biblical narratives. Um, so the, the two kind of questions, just to have a little conversation here at the beginning, would be um, something that stood out to you about one of those teachings. And again, if, if you're not familiar with one of those teachings, then something um, from the passage or from the narrative that stood out to you. Does that make sense? So just take a minute or two and then um, just share with, with the person next to you. Um, yeah, and then I'll, I'll get into a little bit of review. Thank <laughs> you.
All right, one more minute. All right, let me just hear like from, from three or four voices. Um, yeah, just let me hear what you, what you talked about or what stood out or, or something. Well, again, the thing that we learn in the scriptures is how wine is celebrated all throughout the scriptures. But again, that kind of drunkenness that um, uh, is, is condemned, it's deplored. So, yeah, there, is, there probably is a, a certain level of, of self-control of, um, of, like, I mean, that's the, that's, that's the same pattern, though, that we see in the garden where, where God puts everything in the garden and says it's all for you. But you have to control yourself in this one area. You're not allowed to eat or partake in this, in this tree, right? So... Um, to kind of have, good morning, Isan, to kind of have everything, which is what we have. And then God, at some point, does put limits on what we can or can't do um, because of his love, right? Yeah, like one glass of wine tastes most beautiful and wonderful. But mm -hmm. like, you know, I'm going to just drink a whole chalice of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Good. Two other people. Yeah. Yeah. Going below the lowest. Right. Right. Yeah, that was helpful for me to think about too. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a helpful thing. And we have to remember that when we have sin in our lives, um, if, if we think that we're just going to go fix this problem, there's a lot of good self-help books that will teach that principle. And Christianity says that's not the issue. The issue is a heart. It's a worship issue. Um, and so to think that we can just kind of self-help our way to fixing certain things. And, and maybe there's certain steps that the Lord calls us to take. But yeah, just having that, that awareness, hey, it's a worship issue. Yeah, good. Thank you. One other.
Everybody we got everybody got a Well, let me do this then. We'll have a little time at the end. Uh, let me work through for about the next, uh, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, I'll see how many I can get through. There's nine of them. I don't know if I'll be able to get through all of them. I just wanted to share like one little highlight from me personally as I looked through all my notes and said, yeah, that right there, that was, that was kind of what I, 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 if I could say that again, I want to say that again. I want to remind people of that. When we started Genesis, when we started the deep, and I'm going to try and I'll try and figure out a way to squeeze these all in so you can have. Um, I, I just, if I were to write one word, it would be about the Trinity. When we looked at the creation narrative, we get a glimpse, a really, I mean, first, the, the Bible opens with the, with the Trinity. You have God the Father speaking, creating. You have, remember that beautiful image, the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Um, and then in John 1, John 1, 1, John 1, 14, remember the, the, the beautiful words of John, um, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. The, the Word was with God in the beginning. So this sets up this whole, the whole biblical narrative because a lot of times when we think about the creation, the creation narrative, it's as if like, you know, Grandpa God is kind of shouting out into the, to the dark, vast nothingness. But what we have, the image that I see a far clearer and his far more beautiful image is Father, Son, and Spirit all involved creating, inventing, building, designing, expanding, uh, and helping to bring life to fruition. It's a beautiful, beautiful image of the Trinity at the very beginning of the Bible. I've teased this for so long, and one of the things I did the last couple, uh, last week or the week before, is I was like, okay, what are we going to preach on over these next couple, this next year? And I'm going to do a series on the Trinity. I think that's going to happen sometime in the fall, but I want to spend a month talking about the Father, a month talking about the Son, and a month talking about the Holy Spirit, how they exist in relationship. The core, one of the core doctrines of the entire uh, Bible is right here, found in the Trinity. We get a picture of that in the deep. Did I lose anyone with teaching one? Uh, How long was Noah in the ark? Who remembers? Huh? One, 40 days of rain. Close. One long year. Right? One long year. Sheltered in place. Isolated. Quarantined from all the other families. Is that a bad joke? Um, Oh, they only had their pets. Uh, and their immediate family was there. Does this sound familiar? Noah spends, and his family spend one long year in the ark. And we have these, we have these two images, and, and I'll go short on these two. We have this kind of covenant with instruction, and then we had covenant with perspective. Um, we had God speaking to Noah, giving him instruction on what to do, and kind of making some promises based on Noah responding appropriately to the Lord. Um, and then we had the covenant with perspective at the end, right? He's given what beautiful sign in the sky? The rainbow, right? And so um, Noah's not perfect. As a matter of fact, he blows it, kind of. He makes a big mistake as soon as he gets out of the ark. But he has this image that he's always able to refer to that should sustain him um, throughout his life. And so... As we spend, as you and I, are, I mean, we're getting pretty close here to this one long year, aren't we? 
um, as we spend this one long year, uh, again, kind of isolated, quarantined, sheltered, um, all those sorts of things. Um, again, the question I was asking is, what is God saying to you this year? Right? Has there been a theme? Has there been a word? Has there been a thought? And how are you responding to that? Eugene Peterson says uh, a pastor's primary job is to help people listen for the voice of God and respond appropriately. Right? So what is God saying to you as we've kind of been in this Noah? And has he given you maybe a sign or something to kind of come back to, a symbol that you can remember his goodness? Uh, we will not stay in this flood state forever. Right? We will. We will not. Um, the Red Sea or the Reed Sea uh, one of the things we talked about as, as we went through the, through the Red Sea is in Exodus 14 um, the Israelites are standing between the advancing Egyptian army and this large body of water right, and they are in a bit of panic mode understandably so and so Moses calls them together and he says, do not fear, right? Don't be afraid. And when we looked at that phrase, do not fear, which I think was kind of the, the kind of key piece, we talked about this as a present imperative, which means that it wasn't a one-time command. It was a continuing um, it was a continuing state that they were to enter in, that they were to be a part of. So we could even translate that do not fear as in continue to take courage, right? Habitually, like make it a habit to follow this command of not fearing. This is a long-term commitment. This is a way of life. I compared it to when I said, when I tell my kids to eat their vegetables, right? When I tell my kids to eat their vegetables, it's not like, hey, this meal you're going to eat peas, eat your vegetables, and you're done, right? What I'm teaching my girls, what I'm teaching my children is that uh, it's going to be routine. It's going to be habit. It's going to be normal that when we have vegetables at mealtime, you will eat them, right? It's part of our daily diet. Moses is teaching the Israelites to eat their vegetables. It was a way of long-term commitment, a habit of taking courage in the midst of challenging situations, of trusting Yahweh, of anchoring their hope in Him. Do not fear, right? Do not fear. Continue to take courage, a long-term commitment. Then we have the Jordan River. I think the key word here would be remember. to remember, right? Um, uh, after the, is they get to the Jordan River, if, if you forget the story, the Israelites kind of all get to the Jordan River. God instructs the priest to carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water. They carry the Ark of the Covenant into the water. As they do, the water stops flowing just like the Red Sea, right? The water divides, it separates just like the Red Sea. Um, the Israelites all crossed through this Jordan River, which was, which was happening like during this kind of flood stage, this kind of flood season. They all crossed through. And then God instructs him. He says, I want you to take 12 stones, one for each tribe. I want you to take 12 stones from the middle of the river. Pick up these 12 stones 
and then I want you to take them and set them on the shore and that is going to be these stones of remembrance for you, that you would remember how God once again uh, led you through the water. Um, and then Dale Davis in his, in his commentary, um, this, I think to me this might have been the, the quote that I've resonated with most this entire time. He says, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness, right? The greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness. Just like in a marriage, the greatest threat might not be infidelity, but a gradual process of forgetting the preciousness of the other, right? I did a wedding on Friday night, on New Year's Day, and I was talking to the couple as I was, as I was doing the ceremony. I said, what are our rings? Our rings are precious uh, metal and stone, and, and we have these little things right here on our fingers that say, I want to remember how precious the person is that put this on my finger, right? Dale Davis says, the greatest enemy of faith may be forgetfulness, right? And so as we think about sin in our lives, um, we often can directly link some sort of a forgetful state, right? a forgetful state of the presence of God in our lives to whatever that sin would be, might be happening in your life. Lust or greed or anger or anxiety or gossip or pride, right? And I said again that morning, I said, I will drag you as your pastor again and again and again to remember God's presence. We take the Eucharist every single week because I want you to remember the greatest enemy of faith Maybe forgetfulness. How are we doing on time? Babylon? Babylon, Psalm 137. Um, one of the things we did with this is we used this psalm as a template for prayer. And I'm just going to put um, two words. Weep and lament. Weep and lament. Um, and as we think, thought about Psalm 137 as this template for prayer, one of the things we, we talked about at the very beginning is, is the Israelites are at the, at the, um, in, in the Tigris River in Babylon, and they, they open up by saying, um, by the rivers of Babylon we, we hung our harps, um, at the rivers we cried, Right? And they're weeping and they're lamenting over lost intimacy with God because of their disobedience. In just a few short years, Israelite had come, come from freed slaves, right? Slaves who had become free to actually employing slaves to build their temple, right? And so they are weeping and they're lamenting over loss of intimacy with God because of disobedience. Where in your life have you become disobedient? Now, I know that we are usually biased and blind and we think that we are perfect peaches, but to think about this again, lust or jealousy, right? Our neighbor just got that new motor home. They just redid their house. There's that new thing on Amazon that I want to go buy, right? And we, we lust or we're jealous. There's arrogance and pride. We have to have the last word we have to be right in this situation. 
We have to make sure that the other person knows that they're wrong. There's indifference, right? Or we've just given up or we've written people off. We can be quick to speak. We can be irritable. We can be short. We can be demanding. We can be um, worried. We can be ashamed of Christ. We can be seeking revenge. We, we can be laying in bed thinking about how we're going to tell that person off the next time we see him or all the things that they've done wrong. We can become generosity adverse. Uh, you can just go read the Sermon on the Mount. But again, the idea here is there, is there any sense of loss due to this, right? Sometimes when we think about sin in our lives, it's just like, well, yeah, I just kind of made a mistake. But that separates us, that creates, um, that, that, that diminishes our intimacy with God, right? And so, um, as we think about this prayer in Babylon, where, the, where they are sitting by the rivers of Babylon, by the Tigris River, and they're weeping and they're lamenting at that, where have you been disobedient? How has it affected intimacy with Christ? Um, the baptism... Maybe I'll just go till I run out of room on the. I think one of the things that stood out to me here was the humility of Christ, right? The humility of Christ. Jesus' first miracle was the miracle of humility. Submitting to John, right? John, hey, I'm going to be baptized by you. And then he steps into the sin-filled waters to identify with you and I. Right? Uh, you talked a little bit about Jesus going even below the lowest, right? And it's kind of what he does here at the very beginning in baptism. Um, is he goes into the water to identify with humanity. Um, with the very worst of humanity. The sin-filled nature of humanity. And then we get this image. Jesus comes up out of the water. The Lamb of God comes up out of the water. And we have the dove that descends on it. Um, Frederick... Uh, uh, Dale Bruner talks about this image of dove on lamb, right? This very humble image of dove on lamb. And we don't get the, as we talked about, we don't get the eagle on, you know, the lion, the eagle that descends on the lion. We don't get the hawk on the bear, the pterodactyl on the T-Rex, right? Um, We get this dove on lamb. uh, Bruner says, the remarkable office of the Holy Spirit, the dove, is to nuance strength, to modulate power, and to deliver what is deeply needed in common and public life, the way of gentleness. What is deeply needed in common and public life, the way of gentleness. Um, When the church grasps even a portion of the gospel's downward and dove-like message, the church will be in a stronger position than she now is, under a frequently nationalistic and so inevitable militaristic spirit. Brunner closes by saying, we are given dove power, right? We are given this humble dove power, and the spirit is the one that gives us that. Um, Do one more. We got wine. And one of the things that we talked about with... um, with wine, I, I, maybe I could just put obedience here. Um, with, with wine, we started off by kind of asking that funny question that we all asked at some point during our teenage dating years, how far is too far? 
Um, and then we were kind of joking, um, you know, when it comes to alcohol, you know, how far is too far. And we said the very nature that we, the, the very um, issue that we even want to press the limit is kind of the sin in itself, right? Um, and I used a kind of a, it, it's kind of a vulgar um, metaphor, but it's as if I said to my wife, how much flirting would you be okay with me doing before that would be infidelity, right? Robin, is it okay, like, if I were to give other women massages? Now, this is just getting all, like, creepy, right? Like, would this be, could I, could I hold hands with other women? Could I text them on the side? And you're thinking, like, that's weird and creepy. But the very desire for me to do those sorts of things shows the nature of my heart, right? And so when we talk about wine, this kind of question, like, well, how much can I drink before it's a sin, right? Which is kind of sometimes what, what Christians think about. The very nature that we want to press those limits to the point kind of already reveals um, what's going on in our heart. So then we talked about, when we think about wine, the deeper question that we need to ask, and this comes out of John, um, water to wine is chapter 2. I think it's chapter 2, verse 4. Um, the mother tells, Mary tells the waiters to do whatever he tells you to do, right? Whatever Jesus tells you to do, do it. And then we said that when we think about wine, we have to go through that obedience um, of that interactive relational obedience to say, God, what's going on with alcohol in my life and how am I being obedient to you in this situation, right? Wine flows from obedience obedience to Jesus, um, we have to go through that questioning as, as um, followers of Jesus when it comes to alcohol, when it comes to wine. Wine is celebrated all throughout the scriptures, right? But it's celebrated in an obedient um, relationship with Christ. Um, Jesus, does wine diminish or, diminish or enhance my relationship with you? Is this particular setting where I'm drinking Maybe an opportunity where it's not my best representation of you as a follower of Jesus. Is my purchase and consumption of alcohol something we got to talk about here? Um, Jesus, are you, am I open to you saying, hey, you're not drinking tonight? No. Am I open to you saying, yeah, you can have two or three tonight, right? But you got to go through it. This is a dynamic, interactive steps we take with alcohol that we take with all of life, but specifically with alcohol. Um, and again, for me, kind of growing up where I grew up around Teen Challenge, around seeing the absolute, the absolute destructive nature of alcohol that can flow to it, this is a very, very important thing, at least from, what I, from my experience kind of growing up, um, something very important to really converse with Jesus about. Um, yeah, we can do two more because they're short. <laughs> and I think I can fit them at the bottom.